Robert Nicholson. I'm a partner in the corporate group in Herbert Smith Freehills in Melbourne. And I'm Ben Landau, an executive counsel in the corporate group at Herbert Smith Freehills in Melbourne. And today we're going to just uh, give our listeners a, a quick blast on a look at the year in review in M&A in Australia. Some of the developments that have occurred during the year, just a snapshot, I think. And Robert, it'd be fantastic to hear from you. You always do at the takeover seminar that we hold your year in review. So I think if you could lead with a bit of a summary of what you've seen in terms of deal flow and what you think has been some of the key trends for the year. Yes, Ben, uh, it's been a very strong year. Um, uh, depending on the data that you look at, um, uh, all of it points to it being a strong year. Uh, some of the data suggests it's up by sort of... Uh, 60-70%, um, others uh, uh, slightly lower, but nevertheless, uh, whatever data you look at has been a very strong year, both in Australia and globally. Uh, when you drill into the data a bit more, it is interesting that uh, there's been a lot of cross-border transactions into Australia this year, and the mix of those has changed a bit. Uh, much stronger inflows from Europe as opposed to our uh, traditional leader in the US, um, and also Chinese investment into Australia has trailed off a bit this year. Uh, in fact, it's down by about 30% on previous years. Robert, what are some of the other trends that you're seeing? I know that there's been decisions in Australia and elsewhere on foreign investment, a, a topic that's quite close to your heart. Yeah, that's right, Ben. It's been a very important decision this year in the Treasurer's rejection of the CKI Group's acquisition of APA, uh, this was based on uh, a, a view that this transaction is not in the national interest. That's the test under the Act. And the reason for that is the aggregation of interests it would bring about um, by this group in uh, that, that particular industry sector that they're concerned in, uh, which is uh, utilities, uh, electricity and gas. It was going to be quite considerate, wasn't it, in terms of what they would own? Yeah, it was. And actually this issue, uh, th th this element of the decision-making process had been highlighted quite some time ago by the previous Treasurer, Scott Morrison, uh, who said over a year ago, I think, that uh, it, the aggregation of interests in a particular foreign entity uh, uh, could uh, potentially not be in the national interest even where it, it might not give the ACCC any concerns, it might still not be in the national interest. And in this case, um, uh, CKI would have ended up controlling a, a, a very large component of the gas transmission infrastructure in Australia and uh, also in, in other areas, all of the South Australian gas distribution, a third of the Victorian gas distribution, three out of the five Victorian electricity distributors and all of the South Australian electricity distribution. So it's quite a bit. But we still don't know really how much is too much in terms of this test. Uh, but we now have this one example that, at least in this case, the Treasurer concluded that uh, this was too much and it wasn't in the national interest. So this will be something to, to look out for in the future. Mm. Robert, that's foreign investment control in Australia. There's also been movement in the overseas global market as well, haven't you? Yeah, absolutely. It's a, a very strong global trend. Um, actually, I think probably Asian markets as a generalisation are 
opening up a bit more to foreign investment over the last sort of 10 years or so. But Western markets are being much more circumspect. And so we've had this year the US Foreign Investment Risk Review Modernization Act, which broadens the scope of transactions that are subject to CFIUS review and has a much sharper focus on critical technology. The EU has set up some guidelines for member states to consider uh, foreign investment, which is focused on critical infrastructure, technology, critical inputs to key supply chains, and access to sensitive information. And both Germany and France, uh, for example, have uh, introduced new regulations to tighten up their controls on foreign investment. And the UK has put out a very detailed white paper on this, which has lower thresholds for approval in the UK and tighter rules around that, a much stronger focus on national security. So I think that's now a well-established trend, and in fact there have been quite a number of transactions that have been rejected this year uh, in, in those countries. Mm. Well, another trend that we're seeing in the M&A market this year is the welcome return of private equity bids for publicly listed companies. Uh, when you look over the deals of the course of the year, you see you know, a few of them successful, a few of them unsuccessful. Uh, AMA Group with Blackstone, that was successful. Harbour Energy's bid for Santos with Baden Furphy of our firm acting for Santos, that was an unsuccessful bid. Uh, BWX with Bain Capital, that paid it out very publicly and, and was unsuccessful. Uh, Certex Medical, Myob, KKR's current bid, uh, BGH Capital, their bid for uh, Hellscope, which currently outbid by Brookfield, also private equity. Um, the successful bid by Adamantum Capital and Liverpool Partners for Zenitas Healthcare, which myself and Rod Levy and Robert Pross have been acting on that deal. Uh, now, you know, you may ask, you know, there seems to be a lot of bids that are unsuccessful. You know, are they going to continue to make, are we going to continue to see private equity bids? Uh, the, I think the answer is yes. I think we'll see, it, I think there's a trend that we'll see into 2019. PE firms had a lot of capital to deploy. There is a limited number of companies with an EV of $1 billion plus. The publicly listed companies are, are more readily available when you, and I think you hear, you know, unsuccessful, unsuccessful, but there, when you look at the success rate compared to being in an auction, for example, of a publicly list for a private company, it's, if anything, it's probably more, more a high rate of success. Well, tell us about a couple of those deals, Ben. What are some of the more interesting ones? Uh, HealthScope is, uh, is currently underway and there are two bidders there. Tell us about that. Yeah, so BGH Capital, they put in their initial bid. Obviously, they... You know, they had a familiarity with Hellscope from you know the the principles of BGH Capital being back at TPG and ownership of Hellscope and relisting it. Uh, they put in their initial bid. Then the then Brookfield came over the top. Now, what was interesting about BGH's bid was the fact that they partnered with Aussie Super. Um, Aussie Super historically quite a passive investor, and not only had they partnered with Aussie Super, Aussie Super said that you know that they would be locked in with them and they wouldn't accept a higher bid until the end of March 2019. Trying and Aussie Super sitting there with a 19% stake, effectively trying to block any other deal or scheme of arrangement. That's when Brookfield structure was quite clever in the way that they came about it. Uh, 
in that they offered a two-tiered structure. They've offered a lower-priced takeover bid of $2.45 and then a higher-priced scheme of $2.58. Now, the other thing that they did was make it so that the scheme would only be voted on at the earliest, 1 April next year, when Aussie Super's alignment with BGH Capital comes to an end. And they also allowed, through the takeover bid, if Aussie Super wanted to continue to have a private a stake in the private company, that they could stay there with a stake in it, and, oh, and then Brookfield would have a 50-plus interest in the privatised health scope. So they only needed 50% through the takeover. That's right. But the shareholders would receive a, a slightly lower price. Yep, that's it. absolutely right. All right, and, and tell us a bit about Zenitas. Uh, that was a transaction that involves some insiders. Yes. Um, it's, there's nothing wrong with that, but you do need to be a bit careful, right? That's, that's absolutely right. Um, so there were a couple of directors from Liverpool that were already on the board. Um, the they had to balance their interests between acting as directors and were they going to make a decision to make a bid for the company in the early stages. Uh, so they, now was a decision that they made that Zenitas was capital constrained. If it wanted to, it was continuing on its M&A uh, stream, then it would need more capital, but it could only do so by raising capital at a deep discount to the share price. It was in the interest of the shareholders. And so as directors, they felt it was in the best interest of the company to, for them to make a bid. And then once the bid was in play, uh, as you often see, there was an independent board committee that was set up with the, with the directors that were not aligned with our consortium. They also got their own independent advice, uh, including from... City that were their financial advisors just for the independent board committee, whereas we had our own separate advisors for the for the consortium. All right, very interesting. Let's switch to uh, the corp- a couple of corporate deals. Um, uh, we mentioned a lot of activity, a lot of interesting deals this year. We might just focus on a couple of those. Um, ben, tell us about the coal steam merger. Yeah, no, another interesting deal. The, so. After the, you know, we did the scheme way back when, when we brought Coles and West Farmers together, finally uh, West Farmers have felt that it's uh, in the interests of shareholders and uh, to move Coles out of the group. It's quite a different business to the, to the rest of West Farmers. It's very capital intensive as well. Uh, so the way in which they did that was quite interesting in that they undertook, they declared a dividend as well as a capital reduction and then they, rather than just dividending out the shares in coal so that all the West Farmers shareholders would receive their coal shares, they said that the, the dividend plus the capital reduction were actually like the cash that they paid to receive shares that West Farmers then transferred to those shareholders. Okay, and um, coals have been part of West Farmers for a little while. Um, not all of the former Coles group has gone into the new Coles public company. Uh, do you want to tell us about how those arrangements uh, work? Yeah, so it, what is interesting is that you see that Kmart, Target, Officeworks all still sit within West Farmers, but because they were all part of the Coles group, 
Coles was the organisation within the group that was providing all their IT, payroll, finance. So there's going to be ongoing relationships in terms of the two groups to be able to support those businesses. And the, the, and the flybys, of course, uh, is, is quite a, an important part of that kind of retail retail conglomerate. That's right, and West Farmers will actually continue to have a 50% stake in the flybys venture. So, Robert, how about... We, you talk us through one of the other you know, quite significant corporate deals of the year, which is the Amcor Bemis deal. Yeah, that's another interesting one, Ben, because uh, it effectively involves an acquisition by Amcor of a US company, Bemis, um, that will make Amcor a, a really serious player in the global packaging market, uh, positions it beautifully, but as part of that... Uh, the Amcor board decided that it really would be better for this business in the long run if it was listed on the New York Stock Exchange. And so this transaction effectively involves a migration of the group uh, to the New York Stock Exchange. And the way that's going to happen is there's firstly going to be a scheme of arrangement in which Amcor shareholders will receive shares in a new company, Amcor PLC, and then Bemis will vote on their uh, part of the transaction which will involve Bemis shareholders receiving shares in Amcor PLC. And then uh, Amcor PLC will become listed on the New York Stock Exchange. So the Aussie shareholders can elect to receive those shares direct in the PLC company or they can receive CDIs, uh, which will be listed on the ASX. So you can retain uh, an ASX-listed instrument uh, but the shares themselves will be directly listed on the New York Stock Exchange. And so the PLC will end up as the holding company of the group? Yes, that's right. And that's actually incorporated in Jersey, um, which is a good jurisdiction for, uh, for a global group. So um, interesting way to, uh, to effectively achieve that migration and uh, position Amcor as a, a serious player in the, in the global packaging uh, industry. So Robert, we've talked about deal flow in 2018, we've talked about foreign investment here in Australia and globally, we've talked about PE deals, we've talked about corporate deals. Anything else that you see as a, a trend or something interesting in the 2008 M&A scene? Well, yeah, one little thing, Ben, we don't talk about it all that often, it doesn't come up that often. Um, Although it was the subject of an earlier podcast uh, by some of our colleagues, Adelaide Luke and Sarah Benbow, is the issue of gun jumping, which is where two parties to an acquisition get a bit ahead of themselves and start to integrate the businesses or take some steps uh, before a transaction has been approved if it has competition implications. And the, 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 the first matter, a very interesting one in Europe, uh, the largest fine ever uh, levied for this uh, type of conduct um, against a company called Altice that had been attempting to acquire a Portuguese uh, telco operator. Altice did notify the EU of this acquisition and it was ultimately approved, uh, but they had started to integrate it a bit and the uh, buyer had some veto rights and access to information and the EU decided this was in, in breach of their rules and levied this fine, $125 million, a million euro, I should say. And then uh, there's been two matters in Australia, this never having really come up before. Um, there's now uh, two cases the ACCC has brought 
one against Cryosite and one against Horizon. And Cryosite was a biotech company that had agreed to sell some assets to a competitor. Um, it didn't seek clearance from the ACCC, uh, but ACCC opposed it, and it ultimately did not proceed. However, the ACCC alleged effectively cartel behaviour because the sale agreement uh, required uh, the vendor to refer inquiries in uh, the area that, uh, uh, that that was of interest here to the buyer and to stop taking orders and the ACCC took a dim view of that and is alleging that is cartel behaviour. So they basically agreed in their sale agreement before the sale had gone through that the target effectively shuts down their business and starts... Yeah, that, that, those are the allegations, Ben, um, and we'll see what comes out in court. This matters before the court at the moment. And the other one, Horizon, uh, had agreed to sell its Acacia Ridge intermodal rail business to Pacific National. Uh, they did seek clearance from the ACCC, uh, but they didn't get it. And uh, they'd agreed in the sale agreement to negotiate exclusively with Pacific National. And, and if PACNAT didn't buy the business, that it, they would shut it down. Uh, ACCC have taken a dim view of that and have also brought an action against uh, Horizon, which is, again, still before the court. So we'll see what happens there. But it's just a reminder to be careful and, and think through uh, how these uh, sorts of rights between signing and completion of an agreement uh, might be perceived and do they have any implications in this area. Thanks, Robert. That's been a really great year in review. Uh, It's looking forward to everyone having a fantastic break over the summer. Uh, Enjoy the festive season, be safe, and recharge for the year ahead in 2019. Very good. Thank you, Ben. You have been listening to a podcast brought to you by Herbert Smith Freehills. For more episodes, please go to our channel on iTunes or SoundCloud and visit our website herbertsmithfreehills.com for more insights relevant to your business.